Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. But I think there's going to be an awakening of, let me sit down with each employee and figure out what they want to do and work, what works best for them. Hello and welcome to another episode. Today we are sitting down with entrepreneur and businessman John Harmon. John is the SVP of Aeon's PEO Solution Group. We'll discuss his interesting path into the industry, his involvement with Napio and client relations. Tell us an interesting fact about you that your team at Aeon doesn't know about you. I guess the, the most interesting thing that they don't know is my wife and I play a game when we're traveling that if we see someone that looks like someone we know, but they're in a different city, we would say, oh, there, there's Munich uh, Andreas. So, you know, we would, we would play a game like that. And over the last 10 years, we've uh, had some interesting encounters. We were in Hawaii a number of years ago and sitting by the pool and I was on a telephone call conference. My wife nudges me and she goes, hey, there's, uh, there's Hawaii Cheryl Crow. And I look over and I go, nope, that is Cheryl Crow. <laughs> she happened to be in town playing a concert and was at the same hotel that we were. And then uh, a couple of years later, we were traveling to Rome and we were at a spa in Rome. And my wife walks through and she goes, I just ran into Rome Owen Wilson. And we walked back by and I go, nope, that is Owen Wilson. He had been over there vacationing. <laughs> and then uh, most recently, a, a couple of weeks ago, we were down in Boca Raton uh, visiting a college for my daughter. And we were having breakfast. And my wife says, hey, there's uh, Boca Raton Jerry Springer. And uh, lo and behold, it was Jerry Springer. A guy walked up to him and started talking. So uh, she, she's been a... Uh, a lucky person to pick out famous people in the towns that we're in that I probably wouldn't have noticed. So I hear that you got into the into this industry, the PO industry, by accident. So tell us more about that. Yeah, I did. It was uh, back in 2007. You know, we live in St. Augustine, Florida, and at the time I was uh, running an insurance operation for a large bank and ran Florida for them. I happened to be in line for the national position and had told my next door neighbor that we might be moving. We were looking at that. And then uh, through the interview process, I, I came in second for that position and came back and told him we were staying. Lo and behold, he had a, a boutique employee benefits consulting practice that worked in the PEO space and was looking for a, uh, a transition plan. So after a, a couple of months of talking about it, I became a, a partner in that firm and started my career in the PEO industry back in 2007. I've enjoyed it ever since. Yeah, it's interesting, right? How sometimes in life, like one door closes and then uh, another opportunity uh, opens here. It does. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that it works out for the, for the best. You know, at sometimes you may think you missed out on something, but I believe there's something better down the, down the path. So you essentially took over that, that, that company, you, you now at Aeon. Tell us what, what, what happened in the years in between. Yeah. So 2007, I, I came into that firm a year later, took over as CEO and ran it through 2013. Then, you know, some life changes came in, sold out of that firm and went back into the banking side for a couple of years. 
after three years of, of doing that, I was out of my non-compete with the old firm and, and decided that I missed the PEO industry. It's, it's one of those industries that I think is very relationship driven. It's a small niche market. You get to know the people. And uh, after three years of being out of it, I, I missed them and I missed the dynamics of the PEO industry. So I started my own firm again in 2016, ran that for three years and then got approached by Aon and asked, you know, they were looking to expand their PEO practice at that point in time. So they purchased our firm and, and we came over in 2019 and now we're part of the, uh, the broader Aon family, still focusing on PEOs though. And I can imagine the decision to sell to Aon wasn't, wasn't an easy one, right? Again, there are different pathways, different opportunities. What, what ultimately led to that decision? When you're self-employed and, and an entrepreneur running your own business, there are a lot of pluses and there are a lot of minuses. You know, the pluses are you can move very quickly and adapt and change with the market. There's not a lot of uh, red tape or areas to go through the, the, to say, if, if we want to go this direction, you do it. You know, with that as well, there's, there's some downside. You know, there's, there's payroll, there's growth, there's you know, investing your own capital. I, I wasn't looking to join a larger firm, but the thing that attracted me about the Aon opportunity was really the breadth of services that they offer inside of the PEF. You know, most of my career had been on the health and benefits side, uh, working with PEOs, and Aon had a number of PEOs they worked with on the health and benefits side, but then they also had a number that they worked with on the risk and the property and casualty side. And the opportunity to come over and kind of build a cohesive unit that goes after PEOs on both sides of that equation was really attractive to me. And I was at a stage in my life where it felt like the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I, I can say wholeheartedly that it was the right thing to do. You mentioned the, the broader service portfolio, right? Is that part of the key value proposition of Aon, the PO market? Or Aon is the, the largest brokerage in the, in the world. You know, we have resources that are on the workers' compensation claims management, drilling down for data science, uh, working in cyber and cyber protection, you know, working with voluntary benefits, working with healthcare, uh, and just across the spectrum. The interesting part is now working with all those different areas that are entrenched in Aon and figuring out how do we mold those to the specific industry of PEO, which is very different than a single employer. So uh, it's, it's fun, it's exciting, it's always changing, and uh, something that, that keeps me going in the mornings. You mentioned to me in, in our earlier conversations that like, hey, when, when I went uh, and entered the industry and, and built relationships, Napier was one of the key yeah, organizations to success there. Tell us more about your involvement in Napier over the years and, and what you gained from the organization. Yeah, I think the PO industry is one that's, that's unique from the standpoint, the role that the association plays in the, in the industry. I, I can't say I've spent a lot of time in other industries, but NAPIO itself is very integral and central to the PEO industry. A lot of content, a lot of education, a lot of networking opportunities come through that association. And they've done a great job of building a community inside of the industry. Unlike any other industry, I've never seen something like the PEO industry where competitors are willing to help one another out 
with ideas, with suggestions, with leads and contacts from the standpoint of service partners and those types of things. It's a very sharing uh, industry, even though sometimes they may compete with one another. So when I first got in the industry back in 2007, I thought it was critical that as a service partner, we become involved in the organization and work with it. And then when I came back in the industry in 2016, it was an easy re-entry point. Because when you come back at those events that, that Napio hosts, it's easy to see old friends and, and reconnect with that. You know, over the years, you know, I've been on the, uh, the healthcare committee. You know, I've always been a, a sponsor of events and using that forum as a way to uh, reinvest in the industry and to give back. From time to time, get called on either myself or some of our partners that we have inside of Aon get called on as subject matter experts. And, and that's a good way for us to give back to the association as well. Yeah, I'm sure like in, in, in these times of yeah, crisis, right, pandemic, good example here, what we all saw over the last uh, 12 to 14 months, that's where these industry associations really come to shine uh, and, and provide a lot of benefits to all of their uh, members. What is your current involvement in NAPIO? Currently, I'm involved in the, uh, the healthcare committee, and we are sponsors of a number of the events that, that come out. You know, most recently, we were able to bring in some expertise from our uh, cyber team at Strauss Freeberg. And, and lend some context and information that was you know, pertinent to the industry around cyber protection and cyber assessments and, and reaction, you know, given some of the things that recently happened in the industry. Obviously, cybersecurity, as you mentioned, very, very hot topic right now in the industry, right? If you take the perspective of a PEO uh, leadership team, right, what are the top three, four, five topic things that the PEOs should think about these days or can actively do uh, on the security side? We're definitely, all of that has changed over the last 12 to, to 14 months. If you think about a year ago, everyone was working in the office. They were centrally located. You had, you know, maybe some protocols and things that were in place for your cyber protection based on the hub that you were working from. After that, everyone started going out working remotely. So now you have multiple spots where uh, people are working from a laptop, you know, they're working from their Wi-Fi's at home, a lot more vulnerability to cyber attacks and, and to phishing and maybe less control over how you're protecting those types of things. So the PO industry itself is also one of outsourcing, right? It by nature is an outsourced solution for worksite employers. And a number of the technology platforms that PEOs use are uh, outsourced from them as well. So I think, you know, the first thing is really just looking at and doing an assessment of where you stand with your cybersecurity. Prior to uh, the pandemic and maybe some of the recent things that happened, People thought, I have a cyber policy, so I'm protected. The, the better approach is, well, how do you assess your vulnerabilities to make sure that you limit them as much as you possibly can and try and prevent people from having a cyber attack on you or any of your vendor partners, and then layer on insurance to protect those things that can't be anticipated. So I, I would say the first thing is just gauging where you are and where you need to be from that protection standpoint, and then putting in protocols to start building up 
your your protection and your uh, eliminating your vulnerabilities and then layering in insurance because you can't possibly protect against everything. And uh, there's a saying now is when a cyber attack happens, not if, just laying that out. I assume if rightly done by the PO, this might then turn from a threat to a certain degree to an opportunity as well in terms of differentiation, in terms of customer acquisition and really making that as one of the key focus areas. Absolutely. And, and you're starting to see now PEOs that are interested in how do I educate my worksite employers on what their potential cyber risks might be and, and where their vulnerabilities lay? And how do I help them as a, a valued partner make sure that they're protected? So it, it's starting to go downstream. There's not a lot of small employers that you know, really understand their own personal vulnerability with that. So you're starting to see that as well. And you know, you're starting to see also on the individual level where PEOs are uh, you know, putting credit protection or any type of those things out for individuals that might make them feel more comfortable that if they're tacked individually, that at least their financial elements are protected from that. It's a growing concern and one that I don't think is going away anytime soon. Clearly, right? And I think at that, that point, then it's about like, okay, what, what can the industry, what can the individual POs do to be more proactive? And you know what you mentioned there, really providing value to the employer groups, right? That might not have the resources to do that by themselves. Yeah. And, and the big thing is education. And I think that's where PEOs are really shining now is they're educating small employers that don't get a lot of attention from other elements about a number of different things that are uh, valuable to the uh, to the worksite employer. And it's really going to help the PO industry grow, you know, as we go forward. And you mentioned that the, the pandemic, right, work from home had an impact uh, on, on security, clearly. Tell us more about your team at Aeon. How, how did you guys uh, weather the storm, so to speak, and how did you handle the work from home the last year during the pandemic? First, naively, I thought it was going to be two weeks. My life was built around traveling. So I was gone from Tuesday and came home Thursday night. So I thought I'm going to take two weeks off the road and this is going to be great. I think a lot of us went into that so naively. So like, well, yeah, we'll we'll send everybody at home for like two or three weeks and, and, and return back. And uh, a year later, we were obviously dealing with it. Yeah. Jokingly, I, I say since I was most of my career, I've been on the road and I have a wife and two daughters that over the last 14 months of being at home, I figured out everything they were doing wrong while I was gone on the road. <laughs> uh, they don't necessarily have the same opinion of that. And they're, they're going to be glad when I start traveling again. But, uh, you know, I, I'm 54. Most of my career has been built on face-to-face -face contact with clients, with prospects, with building relationships that way, kind of the old school way. So I went into the pandemic nervous about, you know, as it started going on, how, how do we continue to build relationships? How do we, we further those? And, and how do we do our business remotely through mediums like Zoom and WebEx? I've really, over the 14 months, have gone in a different direction that I don't know that I'll ever travel as much as I used to. I don't know that it's necessary. 
I liked elements of it. Uh, I didn't like other elements of it, but I think there's going to be a different way for all of us to do business going forward. I think the, the mediums of Zoom and WebEx where you can see people on the cameras has really helped. Uh, for me personally, I like that much better than a conference call. So our team at Aon has really adapted well. And, and in many ways, I think we're almost more in touch with our clients now through this medium than we were in the past. Cause I think everybody felt like me that, well, if we're going to spend time with a client, we need to be there and travel inhibits a lot of that. So we're seeing a lot more weekly touch bases, scheduled appointments with clients going through zoom and, and spending a lot more time getting to know their business. It's really worked out a lot better than I thought it would. You know, when we go back to the office, if we go back to the office, that remains to be seen. But I still think there's going to be, like anything else, the best of both worlds. I, I still want to go out and have dinner with clients. I still want to walk through their facility, see what's going on, get to know a little bit more, more of their culture that way. But I think there'll be use of the virtual mediums that we've gotten used to over the last 12 to 14 months that will make it easier and, and better to do that. You know, if you ask my kids, they would they would never want to go see somebody in person and would prefer to do this. So I think this is the pandemic's kind of allowed us to blend the best of both of those. And prior to the pandemic, that there was this uh, school of thought that like there, there are two models on both extremes that work well, right? Everybody's in the office every day, right? Or everybody is working remotely. And then if everybody's remotely, your processes, your communication, everything is, is adjusting, right? So now we, we also hear about this hybrid model, right? Certain people working from home, maybe a couple of days in the office, other, other days at home. What's your take on that? And what are discussions that you now have with PO leaders, right? How is the PO industry thinking about returning to the office or staying uh, remotely? Yeah, I think everybody's concern was always before, if we let people work from home, they're not going to be working. You know, they're, they're going to be tending to their kids. They're going to have other stuff that's coming on. You know, there, there's a certain element that, you know, my clients have gotten to know my kids, my dog, <laughs> you know, my wife a little bit more because they pop in on Zoom calls. So, yeah, I think we've all have, have adjusted to that. But I think there's going to be an awakening of, let me sit down with each employee and figure out what they want to do and work, what works best for them. Some people want to come back into the office because they can't work at home because of the distractions and the other types of things, and they'll want to come in. There are others that will you know, be more productive working from home. I don't know about you, but I think my workday is much longer now that we're working remotely than it ever was when we were going in and out of an office because it doesn't end. And everything blends together. Yeah. yeah, you can schedule appointments back to back to back. And before you know it, you know, you've missed lunch and, and you're into somewhere else and mm -hmm. uh, you've been on calls for, for six straight hours. I think there's going to be more openness to working with individuals on what's better for them. And then maybe also an opportunity to, to attract talent that uh, companies haven't been able to attract beforehand, right? Because of like geographical uh, restriction. Yeah, exactly. We have clients that have, have looked for talent as a benefit manager or a, a risk manager that before you would have a great candidate, but the candidate wasn't willing to relocate to come to your facility. 
that now you realize that you don't need them there. They may have to travel every now and then to, to come in person, but they can work remotely. They can be in another part of the country and still be effective. So I, I do think it's going to allow people to have better talent, you know, potentially lower costs as well. You're not having to pay for that move package and you're not having to relocate people. And there's going to be less need for brick and mortar or at least as much of it. A lot of business owners are thinking about, you know, you mentioned the cost, right? Cost in general, but specifically cost to acquire a customer, right? And then customer lifetime value, right? These two variables. If we look at yeah, the, the cost to acquire a new customer, you know, obviously we have sales commissions, salaries and whatnot, but travel was typically a pretty big budget item, right? Do you foresee that... Zoom, the Zoom calls and WebEx, will that uh, yeah, continue to be an acceptable method of communication? Do you think that the expectations from clients will, will, will change? What do you foresee here? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think definitely from the corporate side, there's going to be less budget for travel and entertainment. Because if you look at you know what percentage of the sales process that used to be, I'm sure it was much higher in the past than it was over the past, uh, you know, past year or so. So we've we've kind of proven in many organizations that you don't have to spend as much money to acquire business. So I think there will be less budget for travel and entertainment. But I do think there needs to be continued emphasis on going out and seeing people. Uh, again, because there are people you know my age that are used to that, and that's the way they want to build the relationship. But there's younger people that are running businesses now that don't find that necessary. So I, I think it'll be less than it was before, but not going away. Yeah, well, it will be interesting to see how different companies adjust to that, right? And, and see success in, in, in different approaches here. Exactly. So you have a very good finger on the polls. You're, you're talking to many uh, PO leaders, right? What are what are the, the most strategically common uh, questions, topics that you discuss with uh, your PO clients these days? Typically, it's, it's on what does the employee value from their employer from the standpoint of benefits. You know, if, if you go back 30 years ago, people were joining companies that had a pension plan. Well, pension plans don't exist anymore. You know, then it was, I want to make sure that the company has a 401k or some other type of defined contribution plan. But the question comes is, is what does the next generation want? And there's a lot of studies out there and a lot of time spent on what do employees value from their employer. And we start seeing more and more that they want their employer to help them manage the, the financial aspects of their life. So whether that's helping them to better understand their investments and, and how they should be doing that, is there a program that the work can offer that's going to help educate them so that they don't have to go out and find an individual to do that? You know, there's different benefits that now are value. Work from home, for example, is, is one that was on there that I think is only going to grow higher now that we've been through this. Things like gym memberships, things like pet insurance, things like are there resources to help me uh, as an individual that's now, you know, having to care for my parents that are aging, as well as my kids that are 
are, are coming along. So the idea of what a benefit is, is, is changing and ever evolving. You know, our clients want to know what is the next thing that we need to be thinking of that we should be you know, using in our benefits package to help our employers better manage their employees and meet the needs of their employees. I'm sure that like with these demands and new benefits coming out, it's more and more important for the employers, right, to be able to compare benefits, right, packages. What have you seen there on the market, innovative tools, strategies to accomplish that? The market's really changing on that. And I think there's a lot of uh, technology platforms that are helping with that. The way to deliver the message to the employees needs to be multi-pronged. You know, some people want self-serve, so the technology needs to be in place for them to look at the, the offering that is available, get advice electronically on the things that they should do through AI that's maybe taking their individual situation, running algorithms on it and saying, this is the type of program you should build for yourself. But there's still people out there as well that want to talk to an individual and get counseling, you know, one-on-one -on -one individually that way. So we're in a situation where employers, especially like in a PEO environment, needs to have different ways of delivering a consultation on their benefits packages to their employees based on the vast array of, of uh, needs that the employee has and the way the employee wants to be counseled. Yeah, and I'm sure that highly depends then as well on the ideal client profile of the PO, right? Uh, is it more like blue collar uh, workforce or not? And what are the specific demands, right, of these groups? Exactly. Blue, gray, white collar all have different expectations on how they're going to uh, or, or what benefits they want and how they need. And most of the PEOs really have penetration in all three of those. So they have to be broad and you know, have approaches that are going to cover everybody unless they're really specific in the industry that they're they're going into they need to be very very diverse and offer a wide array of of options we have seen a good amount of legislative changes already with the new administration, right? Um, and it's as part of the pandemic that has kept the PO ecosystem busy. You know, what, what have some of the POs done really well that, that navigated this in the best way possible? And then also, what else are you expecting from a reform perspective, right? What, what should we all be looking out for? One of the things that's interesting is, you know, our government and Congress throws out laws that are complicated. They, they don't necessarily dig down into the detail about, well, how do you administer this or how do you carry it out? And the PPP loans last year was, was one of the big ones, right? right. Great idea, helped us uh, save a lot of businesses, but a small business that needs the loan to stay in business really doesn't understand the elements of it that are going to impact them and, and how to apply for it you know, what's necessary to meet the objectives or meet the qualifications for it. So I, I think without a doubt, the PEO industry really stepped up. And I think NAPIO helped a tremendous amount with that last year and disseminating information, putting together webinars to help train the PEOs on what's necessary to get the loans and, and how to administer it that then allowed the POs themselves to take that down to the worksite employers. You know, there are statistics out there that uh, you know, I'm not as familiar with, but I think NAPIO did a great job or, of publishing them that 
you know, the amount of, of loans that they were able to help their worksite employers get through PEOs was just tremendous. And, you know, I, if you know small employers that weren't with the PEO, a lot of them were very frustrated and didn't get the loans and, and aren't sure if they got them, whether or not they're supposed to pay them back. And, and I don't hear a lot of that with uh, employer groups that were with PEOs. And, and the same thing starting to come up now with the new law on COBRA, you know, starting April 1st, if you're involuntarily let go or your hours are cut below a certain point, the government has said, you know, your employer is going to, or we're going to pay 100% of your COBRA benefits. Well, the PEO is the employer. So the PEO is the one that has to pay that, but then they get a credit back somewhere right. down the road from the government against that. So everyone's struggling now with, okay, how do you administer it? What are the qualifications? How do you put that in? If you're educating the PEOs on the laws around that, it's going to be more likely that the worksite employer is going to know how to handle it with their particular employees. It's a complex field. There's a lot of moving parts. On the COBRA side, we're not sure exactly what the uptake rate is going to be on that, but we're working with our clients to help figure out administratively how they have to manage it. Risk-wise, maybe what's the impact to their medical plan? And then in the long term, you know, how do you run it successfully and, and get your money back on the back end? Yeah, I, th I think both the PPP and, and COBRA extension are good examples of where, where PO can truly deliver value to their employees, right? And then the key, obviously, is how do you communicate that effectively, right? So like, hey, these are uh, certainly things that, you know, a small organization, it's, it's, it's hard to do these things, right, with a small team and certainly a, a different value proposition to the, the PO lens here. I mean, absolutely. I mean, again, having run my own firms before, you know, whether it's five people or whether it's 40, you can't have an expert in every area. So we used PEOs and, and I'm a big advocate of small employers using them because, you know, you're paying an administrative fee, but you're getting a lot more expertise than, than you're paying for from that perspective. And I don't think you could go out and hire the expertise that you need for the same amount of money. It's an effective way for people to get knowledge. What do you recommend to look out for here as a PO to be successful in the market in the next three to five years, right? What are topics that the leadership team should be focusing on, evaluate and, and master in order to be successful in the market? You know, I, I think the first thing is understanding who you are and, and who you're serving. You know, I think one of the things, whether any business, if, if you start getting too broad and, and don't have a vision that is honed in on exactly who you're trying to go after, it can be troublesome. So the, the POs that I see are most successful are ones that, you know, know where they want to be 12 months, five years, 10 years from now, and lay out a plan to get there. And, and they stick to that plan. Most of them are heavily driven by sales and sales can sometimes drift you in paths that you don't want to go. So, you know, making sure that, that you're being true to your mission and your vision statement is one. And then understanding the risks that, that you're managing as well. You know, PEOs have a lot of different levers that they pull, whether it's the administration fee, you know, work comp, or whether it's the benefits or SUDA, unemployment, any of those types of things. Managing the risk well, being disciplined in that, and being true to your, uh, to your mission, I think are probably 
the keys that I see the most successful PEOs sticking to. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PEO Podcast. We'll see you next time.